Welcome to Awaken to Grace. I'm Chad Roberts, and I'm your Bible teacher today as we come to what is a wonderful portion of Scripture, Hebrews chapter 6, verses 9 to 11. Friends, I see these Scriptures literally like a treasure box. And today we are going to unfold, we're going to unpack such incredible treasures of the truths of God's Word. Do you realize God wants you to have full assurance of salvation? The writer of Hebrews actually calls it full assurance of hope to the end. Friends, God wants you to be assured of who you are in Christ. And today we're going to explore these thoughts. And if you are someone that you struggle with assurance of salvation or you know someone who struggles with assurance, I hope you'll share today with them. Well, let's let God's Word speak to us as we go to Hebrews chapter 6. If today speaks to you, I would love to hear from you. You can always email me directly, Roberts at gmail.com. Email me today. Tell me who you are, how I can pray for you. Tell me where you're listening from. Nothing makes my day more than to hear from listeners. Share with me how I can pray for you, what God's doing in your life. Email me today, Roberts at gmail.com. Well, let's go today, Hebrews chapter 6, in today's broadcast of Awakened to Grace. Hebrews chapter 6, let's look at verse number 9 together. Hebrews chapter 6, today we will examine verses 9 through 11, Lord willing. The author writes and says, Though we speak in this way, in the case of you, beloved, we feel sure of better things. Things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work, the love that you have shown toward his name in serving the saints as you still do. Uh oh, help me out with verse 11. And we desire. That each one of you show the same earnestness. Or another great word for that is diligence. That's the word we'll use in this verse. Other translations use the word diligence. That you would have the full assurance of hope to the end. What beautiful scriptures. Today I want to talk about how do you gain full assurance What would it be like if you had complete and full assurance of eternal life and of salvation? And that you could say, as Paul said in Philippians 1.6, that you are confident that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. I want to live with that kind of confidence. Not a confidence in myself, not a confidence in my good intentions, not a good confidence in my abilities, or even in my own spirituality. 
but rather a confidence in the sovereignty and the goodness and the justice of God. And that's what these scriptures teach. So note what he says in verse number nine. He says, though we speak in this way. Now, what does he mean? Let me tell you, I feel what the author meant in this phrase because the last several weeks of preaching through Hebrews has been the most challenging preaching I've ever done in my entire pastoral ministry. I have never approached sections of Scripture more carefully than I have Hebrews I've never felt more intimidated. I've never felt more in awe. I've never felt more amazed at the word of God than I have the last few weeks. But let me tell you, precious people, it's been a hard word, hasn't it? The last several weeks, boy, Satan has been on me. He has told me crazy things. I've never had this happen ever in my preaching. Normally when I preach, especially blind, I'm so zoned in to what I'm saying. People will ask me, did you hear those children? No, never heard them. Did you hear that baby? No, never heard it. Did you hear that person's phone? No, never heard it because I'm zoned in. But let me tell you, that sermon I preached on verses 4 to 6, I heard that back auditorium door. I heard it over and over. And every time Satan would say, people's mad and they're leaving. You've offended them and they've left. You've said something hard and they're gone. He was all over me. But my responsibility as a pastor is to prepare you to stand before God one day. And so we've just kept plowing. And we've kept plowing, and we've kept plowing, even though it's been a hard word. They've been hard scriptures. There have been hard truths. We've talked about having faulty faith. We've talked about people who are around the things of God, but yet they're not truly saved. But today, we come to this beautiful section where I want you God wants you. The scriptures want you to have full assurance of salvation. And I can't wait to lay it out for you today. Now, remember this phrase, though we speak in this way. What's the author saying? The author is saying, I've said some hard things. But I don't want you to think that you're beyond hope. I don't want you to think that God has forgotten you. I don't want you to think that God is overlooking you. Yes, I've said hard things. The author has told them they're drifting. The author has told them they're dull of hearing. The author has warned them as sharply as any text found in all of the scriptures. He could not be any more clear in his warnings. And now he comes to the part where he's going to say, okay, not just brothers and sisters. He says, beloved. Here are the truths that I want you to know. Let's note that first of all in your notes. Though I speak in this way, yet in the case of you, you remember our contrast? 
In verse 4, it's those. It's a different group of people. It's not those truly born again, or we could say the beloved of God. It's not the sons or daughters of God. These are fake Christians. These are people that though they've been enlightened, though they share in the heavenly gift, though they uh, have shared in the Holy Spirit. Remember we said that does not mean to partake as in partakers of divine nature. The word share means companionship. It means to be around something. To share in the Holy Spirit, to taste the heavenly gift. In the case of those, they have been around the power of God. They have sung the songs of God. They know the word of God. They're around the things of God. But it's never led to genuine salvation. And so the Holy Spirit identifies them not as you, not as us, not as we, but as those. Why? Because it's a whole different group of people. And then to reinforce the argument in verses 7 and 8, he says it's like land that drinks in the rain. And what did we say? Deuteronomy 32 verse 2, Isaiah 55 verses 10 and 11. What is the rain he speaks of? The word of God. And so the teaching of God's word falls and the beauty of God's word falls and those have tasted the goodness of the word of God. But what's the effect? In verse 7, for some, it produces a crop, a spiritual produce, a spiritual crop. But in others, what does it produce? Thorns and thistles. And what did we say? Thorns and thistles is not sin. It is a life that does not have the seed of the Holy Spirit, the seed, the incorruptible, the everlasting, the ever-living seed of the Word of God in them. They've tasted, but it's not within them. And thus, what are the effects? For a genuine believer, they produce fruits of the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5, 22, 23. They produce this life-giving crop. They produce fruits to the glory of God. Matthew 7, 20, 15 to 20. Matthew 13, 23. Their life produces fruit. It produces crop, spiritual crop. But for someone not born again, what is it? They have a form of godliness but they deny the power thereof. Thus, their life produces thorns and thistles, and the scriptures call it useless. In the case of people like that, their religion, their church experience will prove useless in eternity. So, in verse 9 he says, though I speak in this way, and these are hard things to say to you, Yet in the case of you, oh, see, now we're back to the people of God. Can we say amen right there? I bet you when this letter was taught to the original audience, I bet many of them, when they came to verse 9, went, you had me nervous. Yet in the case of you, and now... Now, see, the word beloved is used in many different epistles, 
But this is the only place in the book of Hebrews. What a beautiful place for the Holy Spirit to save us. Yet in the case of you, beloved. Do you know what the word beloved means? It means greatly loved by God. There are some of you, oh, Holy Spirit, help me to say this rightly. There are some of you listening. You need to circle that word beloved. You need to highlight it. And you need to claim it over your life. Because there were some of you that grew up not truly loved. There were some of you that grew up abused. Neglected, violated. And you need to claim that word over your life. And if you grew up and your mom didn't truly love you, your dad didn't truly love you, your family never truly loved you, let me tell you, God is not like that. Amen? And you need to take that word of promise over your life. You need to take that word that God speaks to you. And you need to claim it today. And you need to say, no, I'm going to receive the love of my heavenly father. Amen. Beloved, what a tender word. What a word of endearment. What a beautiful word. Especially after talking to those. Now he's talking to you. Can you see the sharp contrast? Oh, I think it's beautiful. Yet in the case of you, beloved, we feel sure. A good word there would be certain. A good word there is assured. Different translations use it differently. We feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. And what is that? Things that belong to salvation. Another word for belong there in the Greek, it's possession, Things that possess salvation. Things that you take hold of. Well, what are better things of salvation? If I had eyesight, what I would do is I would circle the phrase better things and things belonging to salvation. And what I would do is I would draw an arrow linking those phrases. I would draw an arrow up to verse 7 to the spiritual crop. And I would link those two thoughts. What are the better things of salvation? It's the spiritual fruit with which you produce. Things that belong to salvation. So what's happening? The word of God is being taught. The word of God is read. We have access to the very thoughts of God that the scriptures say when the world has passed away, it's the word of God that's going to remain standing. It's forever. It's going to abide forever. And you and I have access to it. You remember what Peter said when Christ said, are you, are, are, are my followers going to forsake me? And do you remember what Peter said? Peter said, where would we go? 
For you have the what? The words of eternal life. Where else would we go? And you and I have access to those words of eternal life that can transform our very lives. So as this rain falls this morning and as we teach the word of God and we learn it line upon line and word upon word and this rain falls, what's it meant to do? It's meant to produce. And so what does he say? We feel sure of better things. We feel sure of this spiritual crop. We feel sure of these spiritual blessings. We feel sure of the fruit that's going to result in your life. See, brothers and sisters, if a farmer takes precious seed and he puts it into the ground and he nurtures the soil and he waters the soil, does that farmer not have a right to expect a produce? Are there not laws of nature that God has instituted that if you sow, you will reap? Now say amen if you're with me right now. If you and I are truly born again, should God not expect fruit from our lives? Does he not have the right to expect fruits of the Holy Spirit to grow? What a thought. Remember that as Christians, we are not saved by good works. The scriptures are very clear in that. Justification is by faith alone, not of works lest any man should boast. Ephesians 2, 8. Scripture's clear. You're not saved by your good works. But the scriptures are also clear. You are saved for good works. If, he, if, if, if Ephesians 2.8 says, salvation is not of yourselves, lest any man should boast. What is it? It's a gift of God. So you're not saved by your good works. But Ephesians 2.10 is very clear. You and I are created in Christ Jesus for what? Anybody know the scripture? Good works. You are created in Christ for good works. So should God not expect Good works to flow from his children, from his field where the rain falls upon it. It should produce a great crop. I heard, I heard this in a commentary, and I don't know where it originates from, but it struck me. And you may want to write this down. As rays of light are inseparable from the sun, as heat is inseparable from fire, good works ought to be inseparable from genuine believers. 
What a word. What a word. As rays of sunlight are inseparable from the sun, heat is inseparable from the fire, good work, spiritual fruit ought to be inseparable from a true believer. Praise God. So what are these things belonging to salvation? What are these things? Verse 7, it is the spiritual crop your life produces. Now, let me prove it to you. Verse number uh, 10, rather. Look what he says in verse 10. He is going to point out the spiritual fruit of the Hebrews. He's going to say, for God is not unjust. Remember, we've said really hard things. But toward you, beloved, greatly loved by God, you who you possess eternal life, things of salvation belong to you. You have acquired it. God's not unjust to overlook so as to overlook what? He's going to name three things. Your works. The love that you have shown to God, to the name of God, to his name, it actually says. By serving the saints as you do. Now, let's break this down. What does he mean by your work? Now, again, let's make this crystal clear. While you cannot be saved by good works, just as a farmer should have an expectation of a crop that he has sown, God has an expectation of good works from your life. So the scriptures teach us What did Jesus say? No one takes a candle stand in his home and places a bowl over it. Wouldn't that be counterproductive? So what does Jesus say? So let your light so shine before men that they may see your what? Good works. Because when men see your good works, it makes them applaud you. No, that's not what the scriptures say. Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that men may see your good works and that they may glorify God. That is part of you glorifying God is by serving others. Scripture teaches we ought to be zealous over good works. Scriptures teach we ought to be rich Toward God in good works. Good works are not bad, my friends. It is if you depend on them for salvation. But if your salvation is anchored only in Christ, then as the rain of God's word falls on your life, good works are going to be produced out of you. And so he says, God's not unjust to overlook your work. Praise God for that. And and, and we believe that work there is not a one-time act. That is the collection of the way that you live. And now he's going to drill down even more. And look what he says. Your work, but also the love you have shown toward his name. I love this. What is it to love the name of God? It means to love all of who God is. 
you've never listened to my series on the names of God, I would encourage you to go back on the Awakened to Grace app. And I don't remember the name of that series. Well, huh. What did we call it? The God of. That's what we called it. Go back and search the God of. And we go back through the Old Testament scriptures and we show all, not all, but we show a good collection of the names that God revealed about himself. Why? Because do you know what a name reveals? A name reveals God's character. When God teaches us his name, El Shaddai, Elohim, Rohi. When God teaches us his various names, do you know what he wants us to know? He wants us to know, trust, and love his character. And listen what the author says. The love you have shown. I love that word shown. You ought to circle that word because you know what it means? It means to make a public display. These were not secret Christians. These were not people. Matter of fact, when we come at some point to Hebrews chapter 10, we'll see how they were persecuted for the name of God. We'll see how many of them were arrested for the name of God. And we'll see how they had their properties plundered. But their joy was in Jesus, not material things. They publicly showed their love for the name of God. And what's that mean? That means all that God is. His personality, his character, his faithfulness, his love, his covenant. Oh, how many of us today love the name of God? Amen. And we're not ashamed of the name of God. Hallelujah. I want to join these same ranks. And I want to publicly identify. I want to publicly display. I want to publicly show the love that I have for the name of God Almighty. And then what did he say? In the serving of the saints. I love this so much. Church, you displayed this last week. When we came along, our beloved friend... And this pastor who has such a great need in his life. And when you made the decision, I'm going to come alongside him and I'm going to help him. You served the saints. Amen. When our brother was here from Romania, when our sister was here from India, when our beloved couple was here from Pakistan, when our brother was here from Switzerland, when our beloved brother and his daughter were here from Cairo, Egypt. All of these various places that you have given, that you have shown interest, that you have prayed and you have financially gave. Let me tell you what you're doing. You're serving the saints. Amen. Many of you are in kids' church. Not because you love necessarily being in a room with a ton of children. Although I want you to love that and I want you to feel called toward it. But it's not always easy, is it? Especially when you have a long-winded pastor. I don't need anybody to agree. That's all right. We can save our amens right now. <laughs> it's hard. There are some days when you wake up and you go, oh, man. I got to be back in those environments and there's so many kids and they're everywhere. 
And we've tried to, listen, let me tell you, we have busted that side of the church up so many different times, so many different ways. There are no more rooms left. We have one kids' church environment right now in our conference room because there's no more space. And there's too many of them to God's glory. Can we say amen to that? But it's not easy to serve back there. And I know that. And I know this. If Satan's going to cause you to have a headache, let me tell you when it will come. The morning you wake up to serve in kids' church. Is that right or wrong? If there's going to be a little spat with your spouse on the way to church, what morning is it? The morning you serve, wherever you serve. Safety, coffee, tech, parking, wherever. That's how that works. And it's not easy. But why do you serve? Do you serve so that you can be a body filling a slot? No. You serve because you serve the needs of the saints. You serve the needs of the saints. You serve because of the Tegans that we just saw this morning. Amen. You serve so that those kids will grow up as lifelong Christ followers. You serve so that Satan never has a field day in their life. Amen? Amen? And you serve so that mom and dad or grandma and grandpa can come and hear the teaching of the word of God undistracted. You know what you're doing? You're serving the needs of the saints. Many of you belong to our care team. And when you prepare meals, and you drop off a meal at someone's home, I'm telling you right now, that is every bit as valuable, and, and may I even say, in many ways, it's more valuable than what I do up here. People will not remember sermons that I preach but they will remember the way you loved on them. They will remember that. They won't remember my outlines, and they won't remember my stories, and they won't remember my jokes, but they will remember you coming to their home and praying with them. You know what you're doing? You're serving the needs of the saints. Now, what would happen if every one of us looked at our lives and we said, where could we serve better? How could I serve more? You know why? Let me tell you the motivation. Because God is not unjust to overlook it. He sees every time you love the saints. He sees every time you serve the saints. So let me tell you what I think God's doing, is going to do in our church through the end of this year. i just tell you what I think God's going to do. <clears throat> Not long ago, my kids were immensely excited. I'm talking over the top, lost their minds excited. Because in our guest bedroom, in the bathroom there is a little window. It's just a small, singular window on the back of our house. 
And there's a thick seal, window seal back there. And this mama bird made her nest right in our bathroom window. And she hatched her little eggs. And my kids could not have been more happy about it. And every day, we watched mama bird take care of these baby birds. And these baby birds just kept their mouths wide open. Heads back, mouth wide open. And mama bird would just drop food right in them. <clears throat> and they were, Sadie tells me, they were the ugliest little things you've ever seen in your entire life. <laughs> but how long do you think they stayed in the nest? Not all that long. <clears throat> Before mama bird started making it uncomfortable. You know why? Because she knew those little baby birds, they had to fly. They had to eat for themselves. Amen? amen. Now say amen if you're with me right now. Amen. There's some of you precious people, and I love you. You know I love you. I wouldn't preach so hard if I didn't love you. But some of you have sat for a long time with your mouths wide open. And I'm glad, listen, it's my pleasure to drop spiritual food right into you. I love you, baby birds. I'll feed you all day long. Hey, I'll preach all day long, and you know that. You know I'm long-winded. I'll keep giving and giving and giving. I'll feed you to the very best of my ability. But some of you have been in the nest for too long. It's time to serve. It's time to serve. It's time to have spiritual fruit produce out of you. Brothers, sisters, it's God's expectation. Can we say amen today? So you're going to fly, baby bird, and I'm excited for you. You are, and God's going to bless you, and God's going to use you, and God's going to do things through you that you never dreamed that he would do. I promise you that. Verse 11. So we've seen their work. We've seen the love that they've shown, public display for God's name. And we've seen them serving the saints. Now, verse 11. And we desire. That word desire there means an intense longing. It's a good word. We're going to find this word again later in the chapter when we see again God's desire for you to have full assurance. I love that. Link those two desires in chapter 6. And we desire for each one of you. Again, we're not talking those. We're not talking insincere believers. Those who are nominal Christians, I should say. We're talking sincere believers, sincere Christ followers. Each one of you, help me again. What's it say right there? Oh, come on, Chad. To show, that's what I wanted to, <laughs> that's what I wanted to show, <laughs> oddly enough. To show. Now, now watch this. He's saying, 
You've shown your love for the name of God. You've shown that. Okay? You've done well. Now, show by public display. You know what he's saying, church? He's saying serve. Get out of your comfortable nest and serve. Now, show the same diligence, the same earnestness. Now, before I close today, go to first, no, 2 Peter 1. Let me take you there before I close. 2 Peter 1, and look at verse number 8 with me. And just note this, because I want to link the word diligence. 2 Peter 1, verse 8. It says that if these qualities are yours, what qualities? All these things you need to supplement to your faith. Second Peter, thank you. Second Peter 1, 8. If these qualities are yours, what qualities? Virtue and patience and brotherly affection. and all, He names like six or seven things through there. Godliness. If these things are yours, if these qualities are yours, what are we talking about? Things that belong to salvation. If these things are yours, what's the outcome? What's the effect? What's the spiritual produce? It causes you to not be ineffective nor unfruitful. Oh, do you see the word there? What did we say? As a farmer expects a crop, God expects out of your life. You won't be ineffective, worthless, as in thorns and thistles, verse 8, No, you will be fruitful. Oh, I love that. Now look at verse number 10. Therefore, what's the command? Therefore, make your, with all diligence, make your calling and election sure. Make your salvation sure. Have full assurance is what he's saying. How do you do that? By being diligent about your faith, not coasting in your faith. Nurturing the good soil, Matthew 13, 23. What is the good soil? The believer who understands and perceives and out of their life produces fruit. And what did Jesus say? Not every believer is going to produce the same amount of fruit. Some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. So how do you go increasing your faith? 2 Peter 1, 4. Uh, 2 Peter 1, 8. If these qualities are yours, and what that word, what, look at the word there. If these qualities are yours and what? Are abounding, are increasing. See, some are 30, some are 60, some are 100 fold. 30, 60, 100. How do you produce more fruit for God's glory? How do you produce more? How do you have it increase in your life? Through diligence. And so he says, show more earnestness, show more diligence. Why? Because what's the outcome of this? Now look at verse 10. When you make your calling and election sure through diligence, what's going to be the outcome? You're never going to fall. You're never going to stumble. Can we say amen to that today? I want to be diligent about my faith. I want to be diligent in serving God. Why? Because I want to be a crop 
of spiritual fruit for the glory of God. And when I'm busy doing that and that's my earnestness and that's my diligence, I'm not worried about the state of my salvation. Why? Because I am walking in those good works that I was created in Christ before the foundations of the world were ever laid to walk in them. Let's bow our heads today. Is your life producing as it ought? Do you lack full assurance of hope as he closes this verse? Let me tell you how you get it, church. You don't get it by doing good works. But you get it by living out good works to the glory of God. God has saved you for a purpose. Are you about your father's business? I want you to open your heart to the Holy Spirit right now and say, God, you're welcome to show me. Am I serving at the right capacity? Am I producing 30, 60, or 100-fold? Show me, God. And show me where my diligence needs to be. Have you signed up for my weekly devotional email? Every Tuesday, I send out a devotion that will help you grow in your faith. Go to my website, awakentograce.com, scroll to the bottom of the page, and when you sign up and submit your email, you'll get a direct message from me every Tuesday. Sign up today at awakentograce.com.